Hi, I'm Robert Mayer, and you're listening to NCP. Welcome to episode 111, 111th episode of Nerd Culture Podcast. 111. <laughs> 11 <laughs> Is that some sort of special thing we should be celebrating? No. Uh. Well, the fact that we're all here together. <laughs> and the fact that we have a silhouette with us again. Yay! My name is David and we'll be in the NCP crew. Richard. 111. It's an honour to be here for that 111th episode. You're weird. Crystal... <laughs> Legs 11, T1. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Silhouette? Yay, 1, 1, 1. One short of what you should never have is your bank pin. That's what's gone through my head. <laughs> I think 1, 1, 1 would probably not be a good bank pin no, either. It would not be a good bank pin. Uh, so yeah, so as we mentioned uh, in episode 109, we knew that Luke wasn't going to be here. Actually, we mentioned it in the last Dust Jacket episode that Luke's not here, so uh, we we'll replaced psychic. him with the much better looking silhouette. I'm the stunt double. Stunt double. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, if you do well, like the gig's yours, because yeah. we don't really like Luke. Well, she survived, <laughs> she survived the Spider-Man episode. She hasn't told us we're wrong once. That's, That's true. <laughs> I was expecting you to turn around and say, well, if you do well, we won't kill you. I'm like, yay! Yeah, well, that's usually what we do with most of the guests on here. If you do well, we won't kill you. <laughs> tell but, my um, Xbox I love him. If, how, about, <laughs> <laughs> how about if you do well, we will kill Luke? Oh, <laughs> that's not kill Luke. Oh. We love Luke. But we'll bring him back to life in true Marvel style. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll, we'll have a ridiculous plan. You still, you still haven't got no rent. Two, two weeks later. Because it's dumb. It is dumb. You're I right. hate the way they ruin people's stories was a dumb story by too. bringing people back to life. It was, it was really bad. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. So for this episode, we have two dust jackets, as normal. Uh, and we also have a top five of our favourite 90s TV shows. And thanks to Monster Pictures, uh, I got to interview Mr. Robert Mallette. I did actually learn it. it was Ma- it was Maylet. He confirmed. He confirmed for me. I probably have him still mispronouncing it. Uh, yeah. But Robert, people who know Robert from Pacific Rim, he plays a Russian pilot in Pacific Rim, and uh, the big muscly dude in Three. Oh, they're all muscly, but the big <laughs> mutated guy in uh, Three Hundred. Oh, this uh, is Kurgan. He, he, yeah, and, and he, he beats he was, up Sherlock he was Holmes. Kurgan in World WWF. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah, so it was uh, it was it was pretty cool. It was a cool, cool interview. But we'll have that interview at the end of the show. He's that guy that beats up Sherlock Holmes. Yes. And he also beats up Sherlock Holmes, yes. And didn't true. we all want to beat up Sherlock Holmes in those movies? I know I did. They were fine. Oh, Robert, so I think Robert Downey was fine. It was just the movie was... Yeah. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. was good. Yeah, he was. He's it's always the story that wasn't very good. Yeah. He's quality. Yeah, he's always good. He's, we love him. But, uh, yeah, so let's move on to Dust Jacket number one. So, as usual, it would be uh, Richo's Dust Jacket. And Yay. he's going to be joined by lovely Crystal. Yay. And they're reviewing Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. And a silver spoon. <laughs> no? <laughs> when you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. We'll get together there. the Cat Stevens version. I'm not doing the Cat Stevens version. I'm doing the cool version. Is he Cat Stevens now not... again, or is he still Yusuf Islam? I think he's still Yusuf. He was Cat Stevens then. So. It's actually... Oh, back to Kurt Vonnegut. Yes, <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut. That's right. Dust jacket. 
Cat's Cradle was originally published in 1963. Um, it's Kurt Vonnegut's fourth novel, and it was actually nominated but uh, didn't win the Science Fiction Awards at the time. That's a shame. No. Yeah. Um, it's not it, a shame, it's terrible. A lot of good books were being published around the time, but um, um, it's also number 37. 37? 37. <laughs> it's number 37 on Sci-Fi List's <laughs> top uh, 200 science fiction books. Um, it's second only, to, as far as Vonnegut goes, to Slaughterhouse-Five, which... Which is a superior book. Which we will get to at some point, but um, yeah, I wanted to go with uh, Cat's Cradle because I've sort of always been fascinated by this, and I've, I've actually never read a Kurt Vonnegut book until now, so... Oh, cool. Same. Yeah. I don't think I've read one either. Oh, maybe. No. Not that I can remember, yeah. but it's a possibility. Yeah. Well, he's actually, he's Terrible got, people. He's actually got, um, I think, four... Books I've lived a long on life. the top two hundred lists. So, but yes, we will get to Slaughterhouse Five at some point. But uh, for now, Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle is a satire, really, of um, politics, religion, pretty much everything um, in the in the post-war period. Um, the story centres around um, an author whose name is John, but he asks us to call him Jonah, and um, he begins wanting to write a book called The Day the World Ended, um, about the day that the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. About the day since the past was revealed. Re- <laughs> <laughs> the day Spider-Man's world ended. Stop, stop referring to past episodes, <laughs> um, I'm still, still stuck in my crawl. <laughs> um, yes. Floss. So he, he, um, he decides to write a book about a character called Felix Honecker. Who is a, a fictional character that fictional uh, Oppenheimer kind of character? Yeah, yeah. I, I think partially based at least on Robert Oppenheimer. Um, he is seen as the the father of the atomic bomb. So the author goes out seeking information about him and ends up becoming in like embroiled in this whole political landscape of this banana republic uh, island called San Lorenzo, <laughs> whilst. Uh, simultaneously learning about um, a substance called Ice-9. Yeah. Uh, Ice-9 being something that uh, Honecker had theorised about. Does sound like something you'd take at a rave. Yeah, basically. (laughs) How would you know? (laughs) I've lived a long life. (laughs) (laughs) There's things in your past that I don't know. (laughs) So he he learns about the existence of this substance called Ice-9, which supposedly um, was originally designed to freeze uh, mud and swamp water and things like that for marines so that they didn't have to trip through mud in uh, battle. Because um, walking on ice is so much better. Yeah, so <laughs> much. I just don't get that logic. Did you think that as well when you read that, yes. when you read that line? Yeah, I did. It's like, but, really? But I actually think that's deliberate. I think that that is exactly what Vonnegut is getting ah, at. So, right. I didn't, which grab, we'll, that. I didn't we'll, grasp that. It was yeah, too intelligent we'll, for me. We'll, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so of, he then, of course, finds out that um, that uh, Honecker actually did create this. He didn't just theorise about this Ice-9. He actually did create it, and that there were fragments of it that exist um, amongst Honecker's children. And the children um, have all basically been uh, sort of... They're all, uh, are all brought to San, San Lorenzo as well. They are a weird bunch. Um, there's a, um abnormally tall woman and a midget. <laughs> in amongst the children um, yeah so I won't actually go into what happens with this Ice Nine and how the story ends or anything but because um, that would be spoiler mate it would be spoiling it a little bit yeah. um, 
But suffice it to say that, um, yeah, uh, the author never actually gets to write this book that he's trying to write because he comes, becomes embroiled in this whole other story. Which is much more fascinating than the book he was about to write, I, I think. I picked up this book and started reading, and uh, before I knew it, I was deep in the book. It's a very easy read. And, yeah. and the, the, it's got really short chapters, which helps, but I think the chapters say a lot in a short space as well. Yeah, there's, um, this is actually probably... We talk a lot about economy of language. This is probably the most economic book I've seen in that regard. Um, yeah. It just flows beautifully. The wordplay is very clever. The satire is very clever, and you just find yourself breezing through it. Yeah, um, it's a great economy of language. I mean, it never gets really deep in any point, but the, the, the story keeps moving along and taking you with it. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it's, I think that helps too for, for the satire, because what, it gets, what he's talking about is, is very, very serious. Mm. Um, really, it's about scientists, and scientists who don't look at the... Um, the bigger picture. Yeah, the implications so of what so involved and wrapped up in their own work and working out little puzzles that they don't look at the implications of what their work yeah, is going exactly to produce. Yeah, exactly right. And um, just a, a little bit of background here. Um, after Vonnegut, Vonnegut had a pretty horrible few experiences um he was in world war ii he actually saw the bombing of dresden like he witnessed that firsthand he was taken as a uh, as a pow by the germans and served um in a german prison camp um yeah so he's he's, he's you can sort of see where his cynicism starts yeah. to develop but very specifically for cat's cradle um after world war ii he picked up a job working um for general electric um, he was basically a public relations person in their, for their research. G at the time, were just hiring scientists to do pure, pure science. Mm. And, um, and yeah, you, you can sort of see that because, um, because Hanukkah um, is employed by a similar company in Cat's Cradle to do pure science once again. But yep. um, what um, Vonnegut found was that a lot of the older scientists especially were completely indifferent to the actual research they were doing. As you say, they, they didn't really care what was happening with it. They would just produce it and off it would go. And, you know, whether if it got yeah. weaponized or used for, you know, less than moral purposes, um, yeah, the scientists couldn't care less. They're sort um, of uh, intellectually living on a different planet, really. Yeah. And he, he, he actually, the character of Hanukkah is based on a, a um, Nobel Prize winning chemist called um, Irving Langmuir. And I just want to read out this quote. This is actually Vonnegut himself talking about Langmuir. Um, Langmuir was absolutely indifferent to the uses that might be made of the truths he dug out of the rock and handed out to whoever was around, and he didn't give a damn who got it next. And I think that pretty much sums up a lot of what Cat's Cradle is about. Well, the way he's written the... Um, I was going to say Heineken. That's not right. Hanukkah. The Hanukkah character. Um, he, he sounds... Uh, like he's a bit on the autistic spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't really have a lot of time for his own children and, and sort of lives in his own little world and he doesn't quite understand human interaction. Yeah, exactly right. That comes, I think, to, to an, another point. Whilst, whilst Vonnegut is clearly satirising um, science yeah. in this book, it's not the only target. No. Um, it, he basically seems to target in this book every aspect of post-war American values, like all, yeah. all the values that they held. So, so family is kind of treated... Well, the, the characters to... are, are interesting as well. And you think, just think you've got a peg on them and he changes it. One of the 
one of the sons uh, goes to a, uh, I think it's a toy shop, and he builds yeah, train model, sets in the, in shop, the, yeah. and you're thinking, oh, it's all nice and lovely, and he's um, he's going there to escape from the bullies and whatnot, and then you find out what he's actually doing later. Yes. <laughs> it's like, right. Yeah, it's a little bit less... Um... He was my hero, but... But um, yeah, so this is the thing. He like he 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 satirizes the family model. He satirizes the arms race, technology, science in general, and of course religion. A big part of this book is um, uh, the religion of San Lorenzo is called Boconanism, and it's stated right at the very outset of the book that everything in the book is a lie. And Bokonon, the uh, religious leader of Bokonanism, states in his book that everything in their religion is a lie and that basically all religion is a lie. And, and all the people on the island are living a lie. Yeah. <laughs> and it's wonderful because they actually they outlaw Bokonanism on the island. But everyone but, practices it. <laughs> yeah, and they, they, don't do it, they don't do it for any reason other than they, that um, Bokonon and a guy called... Um, McClure, I think it is, mm. who are the guys that are basically were in charge of the island when the religion gets outlawed, do it because they realise that if the religion is outlawed, it develops a greater mystique and everybody <laughs> can practice it in secret. And so, even it's though like it's the like, hero has to have a villain, yeah. So even though there's this like threat of death if you actually practice this religion, everybody on the island is practicing it. Yeah, um, it works narratively. I mean, where would you have where would your superheroes be without their villains? Exactly right. So yeah, so yeah, Vonnegut. I think he points out a lot of, um, I, I'd say, the absurdities, the um, hypocrisies um, of life. Mm. But he does it in such a satirical way that whilst what he's writing about is deadly serious, and you can you can see the underpinnings of all of that. At the same time, it's actually quite a funny book. Yeah, and it's very well balanced too. It's not so satirical, so crazy that you're going, that the characters are way distorted and it's yeah. just, you're thinking it's a bit odd. It, it, it all flows very well. Yeah. It actually reminded me a little bit in that regard. A, a little while back we did uh, The Master of Margarita, which is also a satirical book satirizing um, uh, post-revolution um, Russia. And I saw a lot of similarities between that. I think the Vonnegut book was much easier to penetrate than Master Margarita. <laughs> yeah, well, true, but then, you know, Russian literature is never easy to penetrate, really. It's a, it was a lot of, a lot of bit, a much easier read. Yeah. Not to say that it was uh, any better or worse of a book. Yeah. It's yeah. just a, it's a different style of writing. Yeah, very true. So, what would you rate this one? On my usual enjoyment level scale, I'd give it a three. Look, I'm willing to give this a three and a half, I think. Um, yeah. I found it very, very clever. I, I was surprised witty. when you told me it didn't win any awards. No, look, it's, it's one of those books that's, you know, now incredibly highly praised. But um, you've got to imagine when it was actually published in 63, maybe it was a little bit too close to home for, uh, for winning awards. You know, at the end of the day, award ceremonies, as good as they can be, there's often more than just the quality of the book involved in the decision-making process. Yeah, let's be, let's always be honest. politics involved, yeah. isn't there? Cool. And, and look, Vonnegut is now acknowledged as one of the you know the great American writers and one of the rare science fiction writers whose work is actually elevated up there, like um, George Orwell and Ray Bradbury, whose work is seen by many to sort of just transcend the genre. Yeah, so that is Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. It's terrific. <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Cool. So for uh, Dust Jacket number two, it'll be Silhouette and myself, and uh, as our special guest, she got to pick her book. It is Homeland by R.A. Salvatore. Way difficult to try and pick one book. I was like sitting in my room with all these books around me going, can't choose that one to cliche, too goth. Not this. <laughs> no, can't do that. So I finally settled after a romantic episode of trying to choose a book on R.A. Salvatore's Homeland, which is the first in the Legend of Drizzt series. So if you're familiar with the Forgotten Realms, you'll know all about Drizzt. This was my introduction to him, um, which I thought was amazing because it would go... I can't remember when it was initially published, but I love the story because it's essentially the introduction to Drizzt, his beginnings. It gives you an insight on the inner workings of Menzo Baranzan and... all. Am I well done! What? Oh, so this is right. like this I was, is I was, like yeah. Dark Elf. I was really, yeah, it's right, Dark Elf. Okay. I was so, I was so hoping you'd say it, pronounce it. Try David had trouble with Drizzt. Because <laughs> like, oh, Menzo Baranza. Yeah, no, I was like... <laughs> no, that leads like, me to quote, what, the third book? What's yeah. a Drizzt? It's a Drizzt! Little, little farm kid running away. Now, I'm here to talk about the first book, not the third one. Anyway, um, so it gives you the inner workings of Menzo Baranza and how the Dark Elves essentially work with the Spider Queen and how they worship her and how there's a lot of sinister motives but all of it's promoted because that's essentially how the houses and the politics of Menzo Branson work but yeah so I absolutely loved it because it was just amazing I haven't had for a very long time a book that I would just chew through within a couple of hours and when I was introduced to it I just had to continue reading the entire series so I'm about up to book five now but I love it I absolutely love this book (laughs) (laughs) but yeah sorry I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Dave's going to jump in any second. Now. No, no, that was good. That's, uh, yeah, so, um, so, but what, what we sort of, how we just sort of describe sort of the plot of this particular this particular book, though, what sort of, sort of some of the things that sort of happen. I, I would say it's definitely the it sets the scene for the rest of the series. Mm. So it gives you all of that background of why. Drizzt, I don't, I'm sorry if I spoil anything, but um, why Drizzt leaves Menzo Branzan and why his moral compass is incredibly different to everybody else's, and it also basically shows you how he came to be as a character everybody loves in The Crystal Shard. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I see it's a, the perfect scene setter for right. an entire series. Cool. Well, basically, it sets up Drow society. Yeah. And, as in and the rules, and like I said, so their worship of of uh, Lothos, Loth. Loth, yeah, Loth, Loth. The, the Spider Queen, um, and stuff like that. Yeah, um, it's interesting that you said that it sort of it sort of it shows the motivation for Drizzt and the sort of character that he becomes. Actually, mm. I mean, I, I enjoyed this book. I mean, it's, and I'm also glad that we've managed to sneak up sneaking another fantasy book, which is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's I actually find it kind of hard to see. There's there's no really explanation for why Drizzt is the way he is. Like the drow society is terrible. Yeah. Um, if or if you're a guy for a start. So, but it's, it's it's very matriarchal, which which is perfectly fine. But in but you know you're basically the the rules are, are beat into you, for, mm. and you're basically emotionally tortured, I suppose, yeah. and so it's sort of twisted to sort of to fit the the rules of your house in order to you know go up against the political machinations of the other houses and mm. stuff. And dress is different. Drizzt is, is nice and caring and loving and, you know, he doesn't want to live by these rules and stuff, which is totally fine. But I couldn't really see any reasons for why that was. Like, was he born that way? There's, I mean, there's no real... I didn't really see anything that would indicate to me that he was shown a different way. Yeah. And so, um, except, except except maybe for Zach, I, would, I suppose. I mean, Zach would probably be the closest because Zach is also trying to live the way he wants to mm. live. As still on the face of it, obey the rules of drow society. 
So then, then of course, you, you get the the moment where uh, Drizzt lets the elf child escape. Yeah. And up until that point, I, sh- I actually didn't really like Drizzt as a character all that much. I just found him kind of whiny. Yeah. And it's... it's, it's well, well, he's a dark elf. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's sort of he's a typical of sort of like that young hero sort of thing. That yeah. it's, it's like, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a dick. But I will eventually become the man that I, that I become yeah. and everybody loves, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, but, but up until that point, I couldn't really see why that was going to happen so until like, that moment. It's like early Luke Skywalker. He's, he's early Luke. <laughs> he is a new hope Luke Skywalker. That's totally... So Driz wanted some power <laughs> converters. Is that what <laughs> he's, that is, yeah. he's very much power converters mm. up until that point. And mm. I, I think Salvatore, as, as a writer, is good in terms of uh, pace and yeah. action scenes and stuff like that. I like, say so keep, keeping things moving mm. at a good clip. Like I, I mean, I, I burned through the book. He's letting the elf go. I just couldn't really understand why he did what he did. Like it's not really yeah. explained. I think the the underlying factor was it was like the subtleties in trying to say that this was different. Like when he was born, he had lavender eyes instead of like the rest of the drought society having red eyes. Yeah, so which means something, doesn't it? Doesn't mean it's like some sort of problem. Well, it is meant to be. Uh, I don't know if I haven't read that far into the series if it does say something, yeah, but um, sorry if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. relevant in some way. Don't lynch me. Um, <laughs> but it's, I think it was meant to be the whole, he's different because his his dad was different. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and, and all of that. So I think it was meant to be a subtle thing that he got all of his good traits from his dad, sort of a thing. Or at least that's what I got from it, in that sense. So it's very much, he, he was born with his moral compass. Yeah. And say, ah, I just don't go for that. I'm very, I'm very much environment. So you're not the lady you're not Gaga born, born good, this you're way. You're not born bad. You, you <laughs> come good or bad. Yeah. 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 But anyway, that's... Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. If I was if I was in Drew's shoes and I saw half the shit that was happening in Men's Brands, I'd be like, do not want. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, totally, I'm totally with you. I, I, could, I, I mean, I would... Unless I was I would, a girl, then I'd be like, hell yeah. Yeah, but I, just, <laughs> I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to be a drow for for anything. But but that's all he knows. Yeah. I'm saying there's no outside force to sort of show him any different. I suppose wow. that's that's the way I sort of see it. Unless it's getting treated shit by his sisters. Yeah. It's like, mm. Talking about his sisters, actually, my favorite character is actually not even Drist himself. It's uh, Vierna. How do you pronounce it? Vierna, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, Vierna. Pronunciations are so freaking yeah. weird. <laughs> she's actually she's actually was actually my favorite character. She. Her motivations make perfect sense, mm. and she's such a minor character. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen seen her sort of brought to the forefront a little bit more, and uh, sort of focus on a bit more than just you know Drizzt and, and Zach and yeah. and that sort of stuff. It, it's a shame. I, I quite I liked her a lot, and she, she should have her own solo novel or something. <laughs> that would be good. No, I loved I loved Guinevere because cat lady. Yeah. Um, but if I have to say my favorite character in the Drizzt series so far that I've read, I'd say Jarlaxle would be my yeah. favorite. Cause come on, cool. <laughs> I can see, I can see why Drizzt is, you know, a beloved character, mm. um, and uh, I, you know, he, he definitely has all that sort of way. I mean, he's yeah. cool. He looks cool. He's got the swords. He's got the the panther. He's all broody. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. He's, I, I can see all that. It didn't oh. really. Great. It didn't. It didn't make me think. Oh, gee, now I've got to read the next book. Mm. I, mean, I was totally upset. I'm like, I must read everything. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. I, I, I understand that. I mean, in the, in the last I checked, I, I reviewed. Uh, Diamond Throne, which is uh, you know, David Ings, and I, yeah. I love all those things. Uh, <laughs> obsessed, but but anyway, yeah, so that was good. But I'm I'm glad. I mean, it's, I mean, I have I have read this book before. I've been read it, you know, many many moons ago, back when you were born, maybe who knows? But, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been it's been around for a while. So yeah, it was but, published uh, in 1990. Yeah, so oh. I read it. 
around that time. <laughs> <laughs> but it was um, yeah, it was good. It was good to go back to it. Um, but you know, apparently, um, Drizzt was meant to just be like a supporting character. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. I find hilarious because everybody loves Drizzt now. <laughs> you know, he, is awesome. but he was meant to be a supporting character and have a self-aware he's writing. And he's like. <laughs> Hang on a second. This character's actually really good. I'll just keep writing about him instead. Yeah. Well, he's he's yeah. made his fortunes on it. So yeah, yeah. Forget, good, forget, good Wolf, forget Wolfgar the Barbarian. It's all about Drizzt. Have you read this? No. Oh, okay. But I have played like Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and gone to Men's Baranza and, and, and done all of that. So, yeah. no, so that's sort of where my background comes from. Because you know, I'm a massive book. nerd. I read so. the book because I I played that campaign. Yeah. Against the drought and their weapons yeah. that dis, that disintegrate. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, so ratings. I I would rate it with a biased five because I chose the book. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, uh, like I said, I, I love the writing style, uh, but I would have liked a little bit more characterization, so I'll give it a three. Quietly judging you. That's right. <laughs> it really means five, just saying. <laughs> Three's so you, kind of a backwards Now that you know where I live, I'll say five. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so that was uh, Cat's Cradle and Homeland, book one of the Dark Elf trilogy. Uh, next Dust Jacket will actually... Well, next Dash Jacket will actually won't be in four episodes' time. It'll actually be in eight episodes' time because those episodes will be taken up by our New York Comic Con episodes. Yay! You can come. Oh, you just no got to pay yourself. No one gets to come to New York. <laughs> just be a stowaway hiding in the suitcase. No, there's an idea. So You'll need pretty, a really big suitcase, though. <laughs> really big. So it's, it's, it's really, really exciting, the New York trip. So, yeah, so it's a, a bit of a bit of a wait for the next Dust Jacket episode but when we do get to it the next few episodes will be Boasodes yeah there'll be Boasodes <laughs> nice. um, in, including an actual episode where we get to sit in the same room and record an episode David's very excited I'm very excited I'm going to give uh, him a hug this will be beautiful <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so continuing in the tradition uh, Richo's pick will be uh, Flowers for Algernon by Daniel Keyes is my next choice and uh, the next pick will be Luke's uh Win will be Half Past Human by T.J. Bass. Not Hooker. Not Hooker, no. <laughs> no hookers in this premises. <laughs> That's not what you said last night. Well, Crystal did go out for a girls' night out Friday night. That was all alone. And so you had a girls' night in. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> you up in a towel, watched beaches. <laughs> That's not what he meant. <laughs> I, know, I know that's not what he meant. <laughs> cool, let's move on. Next up, we've got our top five. For this edition of Top Five, we've got our top five 90s TV shows. To sort of follow on from our 70s TV shows. We skipped the 80s. We'll come back to the 80s. Cool. And we're done with the 90s, so it's, it's more in line with uh, Silhouette anyway. You're a, <laughs> I'm a 90s child, man. You're a heels of age group, so it's <laughs> deaf. I guess it kind of makes sense. And I like 90s TV. So we'll start up with Crystal. Well, I know I said I was a big fan of the 70s TV, but I come up with an even longer runners-up list for the 90s. <laughs> I know, your runners-up list for the 90s was ridiculous. So, I mean, we won't dwell too much on this, but I might just zoom through them. But first yeah. we'll go with my top five. And this time I do have them in, in an order. Okay. Um, so starting at number five, Stargate SG-1. If you remember back a couple of episodes, what I said about my collection of DVDs being collection worthy. 
yeah. I have the entire Stargate SG-1 series. Including all the TV movies. Including, including doesn't all the TV SG, movies. Doesn't SG mean Stargate? So isn't it Stargate, Stargate 1? Yeah, SG-1. <laughs> SG-1 is their... I, I used to think it was called Spe- Special Group 1. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Colonel O'Neill will beat you to a pulp. <laughs> and Tilk will hold you. Well, uh, the other way around. Tilk. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really loved Psycho SG-1. I didn't start watching it sort of straight away because there was another TV show that was on at the time. Now, this is back in the days when you sort of couldn't record two at once and all that sort of newfangled business. <laughs> so you kind of had to... Newfangled business. If it was on at the same time. I, I can't remember what it was, actually, but I sort of came to Stargate a bit late because I was watching this other show and then that finished up and came to Stargate and just fell in love immediately with the characters. Um, it's just a com- good combination of comedy and action and drama. Oh, and otherworldliness. You know. well, it's, it's space travel without having to have spaceships. It's fantastic. You just step through a thing and you're there. It's really good. It was a cool looking thing. It was a cool looking thing. <laughs> That's right. It's spun around a lot. I love the gates. Yeah, make yeah, yeah. cool noises and yes. lights and stuff. Yes. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that, and it's one of the shows that often uh, makes fun of itself too, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I love yeah. that sort of um, Number four on my list is Frasier, uh, which is a spin-off from 80s TV show Cheers. Um, and of all the characters in Cheers, I would not have picked Dr. Frasier to be the spin-off and be so successful. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and is a better show. And it's it actually, far more, far it actually more took it to be more successful than Cheers. Yeah, it, like it, it ran for longer. It is and... a far superior show. Um, but the comedy's great, and the interaction between Frasier and his brother Niles is just gold, and they, they repeat that on The Simpsons. <laughs> this is really good. Yes. <laughs> Number three on my list, Northern Exposure, which David hates. But, um, I don't hate it. I love it. I just don't think it's very good. I don't I love, say hate. Out of all, <laughs> all the American TV shows, this is probably the most British quirky show that, yeah. that's out there. It's, it's, it's um, quite good, though. I mean, you get the premise of the show with Dr. Flashman from New York, who... Medical school is paid for by the state of Alaska, which means he has to spend a few years in Alaska applying his skills as a doctor. Hmm. And he hates being there. And I've, I started. Is that re-watch- what it was? I thought he was on the run for the mob or something. No, no, no. <laughs> I should have paid more attention. I started rewatching the series um, more recently, and and I've discovered at the time I really loved all the characters, but I've discovered that Flashman's a really awful character, and and Maggie's very very whiny. Yeah, <laughs> just just those two so, characters I'm not a big fan of anymore. But I do like all the rest of the characters, especially Chris in the morning and um, young Ed. You like um, you like Chris. Yeah, he's all right. He was handsome. He's okay. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Cute. Yeah, who doesn't love a weird artist? Um, <laughs> number two on my list: Mad About You, Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt. Um, really love that show. I did find even at the time I did find Helen Hunt's character Jamie a bit whiny mm. a bit grating but um nicely offset by paul's character so that they worked really well as a couple uh, really funny sidekicks with cousin ira and um jamie's sister uh, the best part about mad about you was the stephen wright yeah oh, mel brooks makes an appearance and mel brooks yeah, yeah mel as, Bur- as, his, as his father yeah grandfather i think grandfather Bruce Willis makes an appearance. That's not a good thing. In the later episodes. <laughs> but it does, it does, but Paul Reiser does sort of make fun of his children's names. Like, really? That's what you called your kids? <laughs> <laughs> Number one on my list is Seinfeld. Uh, I'm a big Seinfeld fan in the 90s. It's just, it, was, it was a show that came along that we'd never seen anything like it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show about nothing. And it was fascinating how they can do a whole episode about nothing. Mm. I think the characters not particularly likable, which is unusual for me. They're all normally, scum. normally, I have to find something I like about a character in order to watch a show. But yeah. 
they're likable in an unlikable way. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to put that. And, and I think Kramer would have to be my favourite. Uh, <laughs> just burst the door, <laughs> steal the cereal, and off he goes again. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Seinfeld, my number one 90s TV show. And I'll just quickly zoom through my runners-up. Quickly zoom through. Quickly zoom through. Any Star Trek series that was on the air at the time. So that'd, <laughs> that'd be DS9, Voyager. Next Gen. Next Gen, only just. Um, <laughs> Hercules, Xena, Due South, X-Files, Friends, Simpsons, Futurama, only just. And Roseanne and Sliders. Oh, sliders. sliders. Oh, God, Sliders. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> oh, I look it started like, off cool. It's like the, it's it's like the poor man's history. It, it, it once, started off okay, but once, it was really bad. Once Jerry O'Connell's brother appeared in a show that... It, it's, uh, uh, actually, I think before then it had jumped the shark. Yeah. yeah but the first few series were quite good. <laughs> and you've got to love John Rhys-Davies. John Rhys-Davies is the man. It's the um, that stereotypical black exploitation character that they have in it that always got on my nerves. Yeah. Uh, so next up we've got Silhouette Wow, okay, so I'm going to throw really obscure cartoons at you guys I'm sorry because I was a child But um, I would say Some that were mentioned as Crystal's Honourable Mentions Were my all-time favourites And as uh, I don't know why I'm ashamed to say this But Xena's my number one There's yeah, nothing wrong with that hey, Xena, oh, Xena. Good strong female character yeah. yeah, Xena I've actually never watched Xena at the time But no. watching it recently It's like Wow, she just kicks butt. Like that's that's it. It's oh, it's yeah. like it's like Hercules, but actually kind of cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> Hercules is, is just one. awful. But Xena, no, Xena's good stuff. I started watching Hercules again recently, and I'm like, why did I? Oh, this is really corny shit. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> you were a kid, so yeah, you let I, that I'm stuff forgiven. slide. <laughs> yeah. I sit there and I'm like, I watch Xena, and everyone else watches stuff like Princess Tanko on Cheese TV. I'm like, weird. Um, which leads me on to my number two, which is, and I don't know if it was actually done in the 90s, because I tried to research it, I couldn't find any friggin' dates. But I watched it in the 90s, so to me, it's a 90s thing, and it's Terry uh-huh. Pratchett's Weird Sisters, the yeah. cartoon one that I used to watch and disturb my grandma. I actually have that in my <laughs> collection somewhere, um, yeah. but I'm not going to pull it out. But, uh, yeah. And soul music, yeah. And then moving on from that, I would say Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Now I actually am ashamed saying that. No, well, I've seen reruns, and that actually, that actually does have well, all. It is. It if, does if have its moments. Off, yeah. If I were to roll off the shows that I watched as a kid in the eighties, <laughs> trust me, there's terrible shows <laughs> in there. So don't worry about uh, it. It's all good. And then um, my number. What am I up to? Four now. I put Outer Limits, which is kind of like I don't know if anyone's seen it. But yay, see, I'm in the room. Of course, you guys have seen it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so Outer Limits, which for those who don't know is like a Twilight zone kind of a thing yeah. to yeah. You know, roughly describe what it is. And my number five would be X-Files, not because I'm binge-watching it now, but because it's an amazing <laughs> TV show. Yes, um, it's awesome. I have no honourable mentions, otherwise I'll be here all day listening. <laughs> but yeah, so there's a cartoon you mentioned to me on the tram, what was that? The, and I was like, I've never heard of that. Oh, oh yeah, there was, I had Dreamstone, which is like a British kind of cartoon, which was amazing, which was essentially about... You've got like a Sandman kind of character that has a dream stone that helps control dreams, and then you had this evil, I can't remember his name, if it was like Zorag or something, again, don't lynch me if I got it wrong, um, who was trying to find the Nightmare Stone, and he's one of my favourite cartoon villains in the 90s, because in the first two seconds of the first episode, he kills a whole ton of people. <laughs> it's like, whoa! Awesome. Um, Violence is good. <laughs> yeah, and then um, you knew that dude was evil, despite the fact he was kind of like a Godzilla-y looking thing in armour. And the other cartoon was the Animals of Farthing Wood, which was kind of like a, a watership down. I did Google I've this heard thing. Of the I've heard one. Yeah. No, there's yeah. Animals of Farthing Wood. Yeah. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. 
Well, and the only reason I didn't. <laughs> the only reason I didn't chuck Dario in there is because I didn't actually watch it during the night. Oh, yeah, I watched it in reruns. <laughs> I just stuff that I scratched my number one. Crystal just said my number one is Dario. I'm replacing that. Pretend I never said whatever the hell. Okay, cool. Dario is awesome. You know, Zena. You're saying Dario is better than Zena. They're equal. The equal plane. Equal good. If Luke was here, he probably would have included Daria. Yeah, he would. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he just bought it recently and we were re-watching it. Yeah. <laughs> so next up is myself. Uh, for my, I've got some honorable mentions as well, but I'll do my top five. Uh, five, I've got Friends, uh, which is a bit sad, I must say. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway. Well, you don't have any real friends, so any... it's good to have TV <laughs> friends instead. Sorry, that was hard. <laughs> you know I love you, man. <laughs> and then you find Move out. Move it on. <laughs> you will die. Uh, at number four, I've got Angel, which is a bit of a cheat because it it wasn't in Australia in, in the nineties. It didn't come out until two thousand, but it was released in May nineteen ninety nine. So bang. <laughs> <laughs> if we had the internet back then, yeah, if we had the internet, I, uh, I would have been downloading it. No, yeah. no, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Legally purchasing it through Legal, iTunes. Legally purchasing through iTunes. I like it. Well done. Thank Very you. Nice. <laughs> Just edit that in. Edit, edit that in. Uh, number three, I had The X-Files, uh, which is... Just a magnificent show in terms of, of just overall quality. Is um, I mean, it's got some dud episodes like every show does, but in terms of, I mean, see seven odd seasons or whatever it is. Of, it's six. Not. Yeah, six. Yeah, six. So six is the good stuff. There's nine yeah. seasons. No, no, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, we so, so, yeah. so nine, nine seasons. It's you know, and it still manages to, to mm. be um, consistently. We good. devoted a whole two episode movies. to two it. Movies. Yeah, that second movie I ignore. First movie was in we the nineties, so I'm sort of going with it that way. So it was so good, we devoted a whole episode to it. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, at number two, I've got Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, even though at times I thought Angel was actually a superior show, uh, Buffy is just Buffy's such a major... Well, she's pretty <laughs> for a start. Um, but uh, it, it was just a major influence uh, in, on, on me, and, and uh, I was just in love. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yes, you were. <laughs> I, remember, I remember it well. <laughs> Contest of Champions, Buffy versus Cena. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a cool one. I'd go Cena. Yeah, it'd be saying that. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> uh, at number one, I had uh, Batman the Animated Series, which is genius. It is uh, the cartoon that adults and children can both enjoy on various levels, mm. and uh, it it is some of the best Batman stories you're going to get. You know, I mean, the comics, of course, have you know most of them, but Batman the Animated Series was was such a highlight of quality uh, mm. that it just it just it has not been topped. Um, at honourable mentions I've got The Simpsons because back in the 90s that's when it was good uh, so for our Australian listeners The Late Show as produced by Working Dog just to be oh. clear uh, and Agro's Cartoon Connection which oh. had uh, various rotating cartoons but the interaction between Agro and the chick whatever her name was it's just um, copy gold it was Anne-Marie Anne-Marie yeah. brilliant I've got an Agro mug in, in, my, in my shower awesome. anyway uh, Frontline also by the uh, the working dog people and uh, Twenty One Jump Street. <laughs> Twenty One Jump Street, <laughs> which you know, I mean, it's probably it's probably one of those embarrassing ones, like it's all that was saying. But I feel like I discovered know, I Johnny care. Depp watching that show. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. noticed him first. <laughs> <laughs> You're staking your claim right now. Most of it was pretty bad, but I I I, I watched every episode, so I can't really comment. We enjoyed it at the time. So finish up with Richard. Yeah, um, I actually, I wrote a massive list myself and actually eliminated a few of the shows first because I kind of set myself a, a rule that said the show had to be predominantly in the 90s. Yeah. Because like, I, I had Angel at one point and I thought, 
No, let's face facts. It had one season. It was mainly a two thousands show, so yeah. I eliminated a few shows that way, and um, finally got down to one list, which I'm going to cheat on number five. Uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, there are um, no rules. Yeah, my number five. I actually want to put in Law and Order and, and Homicide: Life on the Street. Um, basically, the, the Dick Wolf stuff at the time. I I I would have start, you know, snuck in um, SVU as well because that did start in '99. But yeah. let's be fair, that breaks my own rules. But um, uh, Dick Wolf came along and um, started giving us really top quality um, police shows. To me, they they were the equal of things like Hill Street Blues, which had sort of set a standard for for police shows. So Homicide and Law and Order. Absolutely awesome at that period. Throwing SVU because the first 10 seasons of SVU are fantastic as well. I was surprised David didn't mention SVU. I'm ashamed. <laughs> kind of sucky. I'm ashamed. <laughs> I, forgot that, I forgot that it mentioned that it started in 99. <laughs> yeah. um, my number four show is the aforementioned Frontline, which I, I've talked about in a great amount of detail when we did the Aussie shows. Um, yeah. But just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant show. Uh, my number three show is Babylon 5, um, specifically the first four seasons, because, uh, sorry, seasons two to four. Season one, terrible. <laughs> it's got like four good episodes. <laughs> those four good episodes are good enough to make you watch the rest of the show. <laughs> Season five is a bit weak due to things that went on behind the scenes, but yeah. two to four, absolutely fantastic. Um, I agree. But also, this was a... This was a pivotal show because it was the first show that came along in years and said, you can do a science fiction show that isn't Star Trek. Yep. Yeah. And because of this, we got a whole slew of uh, 90s science fiction shows, none of which were as good as Babylon 5, but, but it kind of it did kind of... Not many were standard. actually good, let's be honest. Oh, Farscape was good. Farscape was atrocious. <laughs> ah, yeah, well, you've got ah. things like Earth 2, Space Above and Beyond. I liked Earth 2. I would actually put, I'd say, Stargate was certainly yeah. helped by Babylon 5 as well. well the only reason oh, I didn't definitely. put Babylon 5 in is because I didn't watch it during the 90s. I watched it on DVD later. Oh, okay. The reason yeah. I didn't put it in because I didn't like it. Yeah, but we don't care what your opinion is. Have you realised that already? <laughs> Why do you think I put you last? Yeah, good point. Um, okay, my number two show is X-Files. Um, astonishing show. Really sums up the 90s in TV mm. for me perfectly. And so influential on everything that came after it. See, the yeah. evolution um, of the mobile phone through that show. Exactly right. <laughs> That's brilliant. And... And it would have been my number one show if it wasn't for the show that actually came before it and allowed stuff like X-Files to exist, which is Twin Peaks. Yeah. It is an absolutely disturbing show. It is freaky. It is weird David Lynch stuff at its best. Some absolutely frightening scenes in it, like just freak you out moments in it. But without Twin Peaks, you wouldn't have X-Files. You wouldn't have a would whole be no slew Mulder. of hosts. Yeah. Like, like Twin Peaks basically said, there's a completely different way we can do television. While still sticking to some of the tropes of TV, you know, it still has its soap opera elements, but there's a completely different way we can do this. There is a soap opera within it, isn't it? Yes, invitation to love. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so without Twin Peaks, you wouldn't have X-Files and all of the shows that were inspired by that. So that's why Twin Peaks gets my number one vote. And it's, you know, awesome. (laughs) Nice. It's a good list. Except for Babylon 5. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so next up, we've got my interview with Robert Mallet. Hello, Robert. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. That's I'm good. good. How's, uh, how's, uh, where, where are you at? The Melbourne? Yeah, I'm in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's uh, eight o'clock in the morning here. <laughs> Before we start, can I just, just so I don't embarrass myself during the interview? How do we actually pronounce your last name? Uh, it's French, so it's Mallet. Melia. Pretty close. Yeah, Melia. Melia. Okay. 
Cool. Thank you. All right. It's, it's a long-running joke on the show that I'm hopeless with uh, pronouncing things, so please please don't be offended. Not at all. So how's everything going with you? Pretty good. Pretty good. good. Thank, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, no, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. I've, I've been a fan of yours since your wrestling days and uh, uh, with, with the WWF. I saw our Pacific Rim with a group of friends, and I was the only I was the only one in my group of friends to recognize who you were. I was like, that's Kurgan! <laughs> so it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So like I said, I've been a fan of yours since your wrestling days, and, uh, of course, I, mean, it, I know you as, as Kurgan. Uh, and from the WWF, but you actually, well, you also wrestled before and after the WWF. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure. I well, I started my professional wrestling career in Eastern Canada, where where I live, where I grew up, and I was always a big fan of uh, of pro wrestling. So when I was uh, in my teens, watching local wrestling, independent wrestling in the area here, and uh, watching the uh, WWF in the mid eighties, I guess when. Mm. Hogan was on top, you know, and I call it the golden age of wrestling. Yeah, Iron Sheik and Hulk Hogan and yeah, Ma- Macho and Man. Macho and you know, I mean, it, blew, it, it kind of blew me away. How you know, it was a lot of fun to watch, and I got, got really into it. Yeah, and for some reason in my head, I wanted to be one because I think I, I did have the size. I was pretty skinny kid, though, but I was very very tall, and uh, think I thought I could do it. You know, and I had a lot of encouragement from my friends and family. And and after I <clears throat> uh, graduated from high school, I decided to uh, to be uh, to try it out, to give it a try. And I so I went out to ask some local wrestlers in the area, and, and uh, I asked a few, a few of them. And then months later, they contacted me first. They contacted me to see if I was still interested to be uh, to be trained as a wrestler. So I took the opportunity. And I wrestled, uh, you know, in the, in the, here it's only in the, the summer circuits here in the Maritimes. And he, mm. and so I wrestled for for them in the, it was called the Grand Prix Wrestling here in the, in the East Coast. And uh, did I, uh, you know, three summers with them. In the winter I did some more training stuff. And uh, and afterwards I went, uh, I was lucky enough to you know, meet some, some great people, you know, to work with. And they were, and one of them asked me if I wanted to go to Mexico with, with, with him. So he was touring Mexico at the time, so he asked me if I wanted to go. And so, of course, I went. I went, uh, went uh, did a couple of tours in Mexico, and then from there I went to Japan, did a couple of tours in Japan. And then, wow, cool. uh, yeah, it started from there. Yeah. Is that is that when you then met uh, Bret Hart? Well, you know, for, from a wrestling point of view, he really slowed down afterwards, uh, and especially in the East Coast. Uh, and I, I, did, I wasn't doing much for a few, few years for, for wrestling-wise, so I had to find a, a job, basically, to pay the bills. And yeah. I worked at a bar and did the bouncing, doing the doorman thing. But a friend, friend of mine in wrestling, he's a well-known wrestler in the area, his name is Leo Burke, wrestled all over the world, New Zealand, Japan, United States. And he's one of the best uh, wrestling minds. And I was lucky enough to be a friend of him, and he was kind of a mentor to he, at the time, he was working for Bret Hart in uh, Western Canada in Calgary, and uh, training from some new guys. And he knew they were looking for some guys to team up to to make a team called the the, the, the Truth Commission. Yeah, and, awesome. And, 
it started from there. He, Leo knew I wasn't. He mentioned my name to Bret Hart. Bret was interested, and then he flew me down to Calgary, met Bret, and spent a few weeks there just to learn, relearn back the basics, make sure because I was a little rusted at the time. Spent a few years, and mm. and thought that was good, good enough. Then I sent me down to Stanford, Connecticut, where the WWF are headquartered, and I met my future troops commission team. Uh, first time I met Vince McMahon for the first time, it was kind of intimidating. Yeah. It's like meeting a god. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually be, I'd be more intimidated meeting his daughter. No, she's she's very no, but no, she's very nice. Stephanie <laughs> was never met your parents. She was very sweet and very nice. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> she's totally she just doesn't TV. take she doesn't take any crap on the show. <laughs> no, well, probably not. No, it's been it's been a few years since I saw. Saw any of them really, you know, so I'm sure she, she might have changed over the years. I don't know, but at the time, it was very sweet and very nice, cool. you know. And uh, but yeah, I met my future partners and tra- we trained a few weeks how to uh, team up together, uh, how to tra- train together, you know, double teaming, how to, you know. Then they sent us down to one of their farm leagues at the time, which were, it was based in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, we stayed there for about close to four months. And uh, it was tough. Four mm. months. My wife is in the background. Four months because at the time, my wife, uh, just, uh, she was my fiance at the time, but they were preparing, we were preparing a wedding day after I got back. So it was a tough run. This is before Skype. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before internet, before email. So you know, that's why I phone calls. But, but uh, yeah, she forgot what I looked like, and I forgot what she looked like, too. <laughs> but it was tough. It really was. You know, because of that, not seeing the family, we did our dark mass, as they call it, or tryout mass, during but the they were doing their Monday Night Raw taping in, De- in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, did that, and uh, they were happy with it, and they signed us up. So was that. I was gonna, I've got to ask: was it was it your idea for the dance? They wanted us to dance. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, I remember Vince Russo, the writer. He, yeah, for long, you know, for, for before that, the longest time they didn't know what the, what the, what they wanted to do with him. When, mm. Where, uh, when I was Kurgan, uh, I was staying at home and they, they had no plans for me, so I wasn't sure if they would let me go or not. Mm. And then I got a call from Vince Russo, the writer at the time, and uh, asked me about the idea of the whole theology thing, trying to. Because we, we were we were also known as the odd human oddities. We were kind of the heel of the villains, I guess. Yeah. You're kind of weird. But, but they wanted to turn us as this fun-loving clowns. So. Yeah. And, and did you prefer that? Did you prefer that um, sort of direction? No, I didn't. I wasn't sure. I wasn't if it was going to work, and I wasn't really comfortable with, with it. You know, because they asked me to, to dress up in tuxedos and dance Miss America. Yeah. down the ring with uh, with John Silva. I was sure I wasn't really comfortable with it because I in the beginning I was this raving monster Kurgan and now you're this fun-loving, fun-loving goof. Yeah. <laughs> but you you know, did, I mean, you didn't show it. I mean, kudos to you. I mean, you look like you were having a ball. Well, we tried. Believe me, I tried my best with it. And what helped? We had the ICP, you know, the the, the, the rap band, the duo from yep. Detroit, and uh, they made our theme music, which worked. People loved the music. The music. You know, it really got people going. And then, uh, then we got busy with it. You know, mm. we got, you know, we got uh, a lot of. We got a couple of pay per views. We were, in, you know, and yeah, we just we got busy with the whole thing. It was 
you know, it's a, it was good for us at the end. So I, I got really comfortable with it afterwards when when everything was working. Yeah, but now, I mean, now you've moved into acting. Do you do you miss the wrestling days? <clears throat> I do in a way. I don't miss the, the pain that goes with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I miss the friends, people I met, people you know, friends I still have today. It's hard to keep in touch sometimes because they're so far away where they are. But uh, I do miss the people I hung up with. You know, my friends when I'm driving on the road and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, for me, it was that it was my dream job. You know, so it was it was great, but it was a bit, you know. I was, st- I was still trying to learn what to do, how to do, and how to get myself over. Yeah. And uh, so that was a challenge, a challenging thing to do. You know, but uh, no, I, I had a great time though. I was very, very, very lucky to be part of of it. You know, because there's a lot more. You know, some other wrestlers that would be more. You know, probably did better than me, but more qualified than me. You know, but I had. You know, it was the right place at the right time. You know. Yeah. I had a great attitude to go with it, you know. So I was definitely. And pain, you know. So yeah. I'm an easy guy. So. <laughs> so like I like said, you've moved. You've moved into acting. So you, you've been. I mean, it won't go through your entire IMDb page, but yeah, 300, Sherlock Holmes, Pacific Rim, Immortals, uh, Immortal Instruments. I mean, it's just fairly fairly new to the acting world, if you don't mind me saying so. But you're in all of these blockbusters. <laughs> I mean, how, how have you pulled that off? I don't know. <laughs> It's awesome. Uh, it all starts. Well, it, it started with three hundred. I did a little bit of acting back home and locally, back yeah. in the, uh, for little TV episodes here and there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my biggest break. That how it happened is uh, the film three hundred was all shot in Montreal. I was working at the time for Jacques Rougeau. He was known as the Mountie or the Rougeau brothers back in the eighties and nineties. Uh, he was based in Montreal, and uh, I worked for him doing some wrestling shows for him over the years and so we became friends and the, 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 stunt, the stunt people stunt coordinator and the producers were looking trying to look for a big guy who can do his own stunts like a stunt actor and they were thinking that one of the stunt guys knew Jacques Rougeau he had his wrestling school in Montreal so they went to see him see if he wasn't a big guy who could move around and be agile I guess and uh, yeah he gave me my, my contacts they flew me down to to, uh, to Montreal for, for the day just to do like a, an audition and uh, see if I was big enough or tall enough I guess mm. and to play with a wooden sword and a coordination with a sword and uh, yeah I got the part in at the end of the day that's and awesome so that was, yeah it was a big thrill for me to get that was, I knew it was gonna, you know it was it was a big big Hollywood feature film big studio film yeah and the movie came out a year later because it, it took so long for it to, to make for Production-wise, so, so much special effects to be done. So wait a whole year before it came out in theaters, and of course the movie did huge. Mm. And so for me, it was great being my first feature film. That you know, it's kind of a part of part of the pop culture, really. Yeah, and now I mean, back yeah. in the back in the good old days, the sword would, that goes through your bicep would have been fake, but is it CGI in the film? It is. Yeah. yeah okay. Oh yeah. The, 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 I was. Uh, uh, it was great. I had. For a while, they wanted to stab me through the eye. The, the, the makeup part, it took five hours to make, for, to, to, to build me up. Wow. Five hours to make prosthetics. So that was a long day to begin with. Yeah. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't mind, you know, I, I loved it. Though. it was, I thought it was so fascinating. But stuff they did to me, you know, like uh, there was a scene where he stabs me in the eye, but the other eye, I was blind. 
you know, they, they, think, they thicken the, the contact lenses so much that I couldn't see. Yeah. So I was completely, couldn't see at all. But, and so they had to guide me to the set. And uh, yeah. that, was, that was pretty interesting, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, we, we rehearsed the fight for months before that. And yeah. uh, so I knew the fight by, you know, by heart, really. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was great working from some professional people, that stunt people, and working from great actors like uh, Jared Butler. Yeah, he was a very, very funny, you know, very funny guy. He see, he seems really down to earth. Yes, he, he is. He was kept telling the tent to tell, telling us dirty jokes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, I mean, it's not just three hundred. I mean, Sherlock Holmes. I mean, you got to work with Robert Downey Jr. It's absolutely brilliant, and uh, we, we can't we can't do the interview without mentioning it. I'm sorry. I know you've answered this question a billion times, but so the accidental the accidental hitting. <laughs> um, he actually said in in an in an interview himself that you were like ten times, hundred times more sorry than he was. So you see, he, he seemed pretty good about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it happens. It really does happen, especially yeah. when you're doing stunts, and you know, accidents do happen. I, I went through that for true pro wrestling. Yeah. You know, yeah. accidents does happen all the time. You can't you can't really stop it. You know, you try to do your best not to hurt the other guy or not to hurt yourself, but yeah. stuff happens. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that was a, just a simple. It's an incident that you know, I really thought I, re- I really did hurt him. You know, he was the. We never had time to rehearse our fight scenes that yeah. much, and of course there was so much changes since we rehearse a fight for like a, a week. That's not guys, and then and then we go on set, everything changes. You know, so yeah, so so then you have to rehearse that that that, that new fight. You know, sometimes you don't have that window of opportunity to do it. Yeah. So that's what yeah. probably what happened. You know, and. Uh, Basically, I went by to punch him in, in the chin where, where I was supposed to, and he was supposed to block, and he just forgot what had happened so fast. Yeah. And I, I yeah. in the chin, and I, I knew I hurt him. I didn't know how much I did, you know, and I felt so bad about it. But but uh, it was it was okay afterwards, you know. We took, you know, we finished the fight scene. Everybody had a good laugh at the end after watching the footage, you know. So it made me feel a little better. <laughs> Is that actual footage still in the film? Uh, not in the film. The big, yeah. no, it didn't co- no, it didn't. Somebody had a camcorder. One of the stunt guys had a camcorder. Oh, and it was called. Typical. <laughs> <laughs> There's always somebody with a camcorder. <laughs> so, do we finish? If we put some eyes, they put some eyes on Robert's uh, lip. He had a fat lip. And, yeah. uh, and finished our fight scene. And then he took him to the hospital. We had five stitches. Wow. Yeah, but the next day, it, it was great. He came to my trailer and gave me a the makeup trailer and, and basically dropped a, a bottle of champagne basically to every in school you know the word about it that's finished the week so this is very uh, pretty classic thing to do you know that is so, that's very cool yeah and then in, and that was uh, then in Pacific Rim uh, you you get to you actually speak Russian in Pacific Rim did you do you I actually do you know Russian or did you just have no, to learn no. those no I don't no. <laughs> uh, it's my second role as a as a as a Russian because uh, how I got the Pacific Rim role is uh, uh, Guillermo del Toro saw me in a small well, independent film yeah. shot a few years prior called The Big Bang where I played this oh, Russian boxer the boxer played, uh, yeah the pro yeah the, uh, Anton Dupro yeah. and the guy yeah. uh, and Tiona to find this uh, missing the, you know the yeah. girl that I fell in love with in prison so it's uh, but. You know, the film came out, didn't really do that much, you know, you know no much publicity about it, but... Uh, That's a quick you know, little I'm, film, I don't mind it. No, I loved it. I yeah. loved it very, very, you know, 
You look magnificent. I, I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say it. I mean, the just the, the armor and the the beard, and it just you just you, you both look awesome. And the the Jager that you get to to get, get to pilot is magnificent. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. looked awesome. It's all glamour, his look and stuff. So we, yeah. well, it, how, when we do when we got dressed up for it, it was easy for us to get into character. Yeah, he's he's a master. There's no doubt about it. And you work you work with him again uh, on the TV show The Strain. Yes, I am. Yes, yeah, we so, did. Yeah, yeah the, the, well, I know about Australia, yet, but North America premiered uh, on, t- on television like a month ago. Yeah, right no, now. it hasn't actually come. It hasn't made it here yet. But I've seen the uh, first episode. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, well, it, but then, you know, the same thing where he offered me um, offered me the role as the master after working with him in Pacific Rim. Yeah. So for me, it was a big thrill to play the, to play the main, the main, you know, ancient vampire, the main villain of the story. Yeah. And I read the books he, he co-wrote, and uh, so I really got into the story. It was great. I know he was going to be a, a great series because of the stories. It was great, you know. And so he had uh, working with amazing, an amazing cast in the series, you know. Mm. So it was, that was awesome to play. You know? Very cool. So it's, um, Monster Pictures is distributing one of your films here in Australia uh, called Monster Brawl, uh, which, which which actually made it in 2011, I think. It's been three years since I've made Monster Brawl. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, it's a very simple you know, concept. You know, monsters all into well-known classic monsters fighting out to the death in, uh, in a tournament. Yeah, like and a pay-for-view type tournament. Pay-for-view event in the, in the middle of an old uh, abandoned cemetery yeah. to determine the best monster of the world, really, you yeah. know, and it's, they think people, you know, it's just a, a great concept, though. I don't think that was never been done before. Oh, it's but, a cool, yeah. cool idea. It is, yeah. You know? and, I, love, uh, I love the announcer guys, they're, they're awesome. They were awesome, yeah, <laughs> they were running, they're Foley and Art Hindle. Yeah. Uh, how I got reached, the, the, the producers and director, they're all from uh, north of Toronto, they're all, they're all best friends who grew up in high school, and they, they wanted me for the role for Frankenstein since the beginning since I was the first one to be cast and cool. well, I wasn't sure if I wanted I was interested but then I saw a lot of concept the concept art of Frankenstein and it really you know convinced me that it was worth worth doing and you know, after reading the script and stuff and uh, yeah I, the sets were amazing I mean of course it's, it, it was a low budget film you know it's, it's not like the big features I worked for but their passion was incredible you know yeah. they, they really work hard to, to make it look like it was a big budget film yeah, and they had yeah. the very talented people working on it you know so to make it special you know so uh, I this is the first time for me where I, I worked with Kevin Nash I never worked with Kevin Nash before in the wrestling days you know, yeah. you know so, so for me it was great meeting him and working with him you know, and, you know it, it, it was challenging at first it was hard to uh, 
to do the wrestling stuff, but also you have to be in character as well. You yeah. know, so yeah. that was, so I tried to, it was try to concentrate to make sure that people saw was Frankenstein, not me. You know, so yeah. So I mean, that's that's another role where you've had to wear quite a bit of makeup. Have you got, have you gotten used to the makeup process yet? I have, and that one's yeah. That one took the three hours to 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 pull me up. Yeah. Frankenstein. That's not too bad. How how long did the Minotaur take in Immortals? Uh, not long, not really long, because that was mostly a helmet. The Minotaur, where it just placed me over my head. Yeah. It didn't yeah. take that long to set up, really. I mean, there was a lot of you know. It took probably a half hour to forty minutes, really. But uh, uh, it's the it was challenging to work with the helmet because you couldn't really see through properly. Right. And, uh, so it was challenging for me to fight to do the fight sequence with uh, Henry Kibble who played yeah. the uh, thesis and uh, I didn't want to stab him in the face because my horns were sticking out you know in front so it was they were very pointy you know so uh, I didn't want to stab anybody in the, in the eye yeah. <laughs> especially not the future Superman exactly <laughs> so you've, you've worked with you worked with a wide range of people I've got, I've got two questions based on that one, have you ever been starstruck? And two, who's the most famous person in your phone book? In my phone book? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course I get starstruck, you know. I'm a big fan of films from growing up. So yeah. it's, and when the first time I worked with Butler, you know, it was, you know, it was just a, amazing. But when I, I think it was on the Sherlock Holmes, when we did the script reading, with Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law, Richard McAdams, I was pretty starstruck. It was amazing because I watched them throughout my life, what you know, watching their career, and then finally I'm working with them on the same set. It's and, awesome. Uh, it was awesome. I had to sometimes you do, I had to pinch myself, you know. So I try to I try to be professional at the same time, you know. So, it would be hard. It's amazing, you know, especially working with Guillermo del Toro too. You know, I, I, I get starstruck with him because he's a well-known director for you know, and so he's. You know, no, I, I do. I, I'm a big fan of it. So, of course, I get excited. I think I'm kind of a geek, but I'm <laughs> fascinated working with those guys, you know, because they've been at it for years and years and the top of their game. Yeah. And then, so you learn so much from them, too. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to be part, part of that scene, part, you know, so it's special to watch, really. Awesome. And, uh, and, and from Bogwell, I do I make friends. Uh, one is Kevin Durand. Is that we we uh, we became friends during uh, on Immortal Instruments, where it was me. I played uh, Blackwell, and he played Pangorn. We were the uh, henchmen for uh, Valentine, who was played by Jonathan Rhys Myers. Yeah, and uh, he, he's a fellow Canadian as well. He's well, he's French Canadian uh, too, like cool. me. And uh, and he's been you know he had an amazing career, doing very fascinating, you know, interesting roles. You know, he's, he's a great actor, and and uh, so. So he's a big guy as well, you know, six yeah. foot six, and uh, and so we became friends, and and now we're on the strain. He's my he's he's in the, he's in the strain. He plays uh, this Russian uh, radix shamanator called named Vasily Fett, and so he's my enemy. So we're, <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Interesting, you know. Yeah. We we'll always keep in touch. You know, we try to. He's a busy guy too. So. Cool. Have you have you seen the movie Highlander? Of course, yeah, the cool. Yeah, yeah, the original. Yeah, so so in the in the vein of Monster Brawl about about a, you know group of monsters that have a fight together, who do you think would win in a fight between the Kurgan and you as Kurgan? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll even be fair and give you a sword. Well, he's pretty. He's, he was pretty amazing. He was he was a great villain. Yeah, yeah. he is immortal though. <laughs> yeah, but all we, have, all we have to do is take off his head though. 
No, but that's, uh, he's, he's, he's been at it for 400 years. Yeah. He had practice with a sword. So I was thinking about it. <laughs> you might take my head off easily. Uh, if I grab him by a choke slam, I think that's it, or the claw. I think yeah. it would happen. That's what I was hoping you'd do. You'd say the claw. We'll probably play video games together and probably beat him in a video game or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll just, we'll just finish up with one final question, if you don't mind. Sure. Right. You know, this is uh, it's like it's the NCP sort of uh, it's our, our copyrighted questions it does stump a few people so be prepared oh, okay if you were doing the interview what would be the one question that you would want asked of you that's a good question thank you uh, I, I don't know think about what role would I, would I like to play awesome so Robert what role would you like to play I'd love to be in a Bond movie actually that would be my dream that would be magnificent like the new generation Jaws well, yeah. If I have a small part of one scene, I would be so happy, you know, to be in a Bond film. Because since I was a kid, of course, back in the Roger Moore days and, and until and into now, it was, you know, I love the series. So I'm yeah. a huge fan of it. And so being part of it would be would be special. You know, that would be, be very awesome. Special. Uh, no, I'm I'm putting my foot down. No small role for you, Robert. It, it, if it's not a major henchman, I don't, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I'll put. I'll use all the influence, the very small influence that I have, to make sure it happens. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, <laughs> well, Robert. Thank you very much for your time. It's been absolutely magnificent. Oh, thank you. Uh, it was fun. Fun talking to you. Thank, thank you. you. You're welcome. Right, you That's take fun. care, and it, we, hopefully, we can talk again someday. Hope so. I hope so. Hope right. so soon. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was awesome. Robert was a champion. Hopefully you do get to speak again. Uh, it was really, really cool. And uh, i just uh, check out everything that he's in, including Monster Brawl, which is uh, why I got to talk to him. And thanks again to Monster Pictures. Cool stuff. Next up, we've got Coming Soon. In cinemas October 2nd, we get Annabelle. I really want to say that film. You excited? Which I learned is the prequel, not the sequel, the prequel to The Conjuring, mm. uh, which was actually a decent horror film for a change. It was actually quite good. Yeah. But if you look up what that doll actually looks like, it's yeah. like in the Hollywood film, it's a scary, deformed looking, creepy as hell thing. But when you see what the real thing looks like, it's one of those Raggedy Ann dolls, which yeah. gives me more it's shit. Even terror. creepier. <laughs> yeah. No, it's even it's the a, real one. It's yeah, actually it's in creepier. that glass cabinet thing, and yeah. it's like. Nah. It's pretty cool. It was a Seriously, good creepy dolls are awesome. They're like creepy kids in films. There's yeah. just nothing the trailer, cooler than a creepy doll. Trailer's cool, so check it out. Uh, a Dolphin Tale 2, which is a tale about dolphins. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, Dracula Untold, yet another Dracula uh, film. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I hate the even the idea of this. Like, seriously, who cares how Dracula became a vampire? The story of Dracula <laughs> is when he goes to London and t- completely messes everybody up. Yeah, I don't know. It's got the, I, I don't mind the guy who's playing him. I just, I just his, not interested. I can't remember his name. I just, my head, he was a musketeer. Yeah, he was that's all I remember. Yeah. He seems like a decent guy. I, I don't know. The production I, values look high, but I'm not going to rush to the cinema. Uh, Earth to Echo, which I'm pretty sure we said was coming out earlier, so it must have been delayed in some way. I'm not too sure, but uh, it's a children's film uh, about a group of children who find an alien and help him get home. So it's basically E.T. It's, E.T. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically E.T. I, I can't believe I've seen that for, for a new generation. But it's gotten some good reviews. Uh, and Gone Girl, which is... Is it Ben Affleck? Yeah, it's Ben Affleck. Which is, yeah, another... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Which is called Fat Man. Fat Batman. Fat Batman. <laughs> Poor Ben. Sorry. Leave him no. alone. I don't I cannot know. respect him after Daredevil. 
But he is a good director, though. So um, yeah, he's, he's so, actually done pretty yeah, well. Yeah, okay, he yeah, really forget acting completely yeah, and not play Fat Batman. I just go just just get behind the camera and keep directing good films. Spidey versus Fat Batman. Yeah, I'm going to give it to Spidey. Yeah. Unless it's Andrew Garfield, whiny Spidey, like emo uh, Spidey sort of. Then I'll give it to Batman. Then I'll give it to Fat Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for episode one and one, oh, one, 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 111. I can't pronounce numbers. I don't know what it is. It's some sort of weird form of dyslexia or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Piss off. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for me and the crew. Richard. I swear when Luke comes back, I'm going to just start making jokes about Fat Batman. He's going to hate it. He's going to hate every minute of Fat Batman. Crystal. Want to get some pizza? <laughs> creepy dude. <laughs> i got pizza in the fridge, actually. I don't, I don't even know what you're referencing. It's a Seinfeld reference. Is it? Oh, right. Okay, good. No soup for you. <laughs> I'm just picturing Pez. And our special, special guest, Silhouette. And now I must return to my planet. <laughs> I must go where my people need me. <laughs> my work here is done. The planet of two dimension where everyone is silhouetted. <laughs> what? I don't know. I like it. Stuff up. <laughs> Bye. 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 You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. You can run on our wall if you go to the Facebook page. Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast. Tweet us at Nerd Culture Cast. Skype us on Nerd Culture Podcast. If we don't answer, leave a message. We might even play it on the show. You can comment on any post on our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net or search for ncptv on YouTube because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? Go to ecnradio.com. Bo and David also have another podcast called Film Flames. More info at www.filmflames.com. You can find all of our podcasts and more at undercastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.